Welcome to the My Buddy Green podcast. I'm Jason Wachab, founder and co-CEO of My Buddy Green, and your host. A black man was murdered by a police officer as three police officers watched and did nothing. It's heartbreaking. Suffice to say, I am deeply concerned. Full stop. People are outraged. People are anguished. People are sad, rightfully so. Look, it's been a lot to process this year. The New York Times' Peter Baker, I think, said it best. It's been a year of national trauma that started out feeling like another 1998 with impeachment, then another 1918 with a killer pandemic, combined with another 1929 given the shattering economic fallout. Now add to that another 1968, a year of deep social unrest. Deep social unrest. Let's sit with that. It doesn't feel too good to sit with deep social unrest. It's uncomfortable. It should be uncomfortable and it needs to be uncomfortable. And sitting with the uncomfortable is what mindfulness is all about. So where do we go from here? What have we done wrong? What can we do better? That leads me to today's guest. Hill Harper is a humanitarian and award-winning actor you probably all know from the hit show, The Good Doctor. He's also a four-time New York Times bestselling author, an entrepreneur, a philanthropist, a cancer survivor, and a frequent speaker at our landmark Revitalize event. He's also an incredible person who I am honored to call a friend. Hill, welcome. It's good to see you and hear your voice. Hey, brother. Nice to see you too. So right now I am trying to do a lot more listening and a lot less talking. So I have two questions for you and only two questions. Where do we go from here and what can we do better? Okay. So, um, where do we go from here is so multi-pronged and multifaceted that I think it's important that we talk about a lot of what those facets are because for some reason it seems that we we, we live in a, a world now that people either want to or need to hold on to one solution or and not realize that there are all these multiple solutions. Obviously, we want justice. We want there to be uh, 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 equality under law, equality in terms of, of, of the way people are seen and treated and, and, and opportunities in society. Um, nobody wants to be in fear that they may not come home if you're a black man or if you have a black son, as I do, as I'm a black man and I have a black son, and be worried about their child. Um, you know, all of these things are, are very fundamental things that have been ignored for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years um, that are systemic and institu- institutionalized. And we're talking about systemic and institutionalized racism, uh, fundamental. And... If you're going to create an anti-racist pie, if you're going to, 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 and you need all these ingredients, 
what are the ingredients that you have to put in to make an anti-racist society to, to, to have a pie? And so everybody has something to say about that. And so I know that you just said that you are in the position of wanting to do a lot of listening. The thing is, is that you bring your racism to bear as a white man in America, having grown up, that we need your expertise as well. Um, because you know what, as a black man, I'm actually not there usually when groups of white men or white people and mixed groups use the N word or use even more covert things, uh, saying something about somebody like they talk white about a black person or, um, you know, are they from the hood, you know, or all these different types of covert little things, you know, all the way through overt, aggressive white supremacist, racist actions um, that can then certain times be emboldened by, by police, et cetera. So, so what does that, all that mean? It means that there are, everybody has a place to fit in these solutions. And no matter who you are, what you are, the, the thing that you can't do is nothing, right? That's the thing you can't do. Um, I've gotten frustrated recently with folks um, particularly in the entertainment industry where um, people have been requested to step up or do something and you hear their publicists say, usually white publicists, you hear their, um, this, this is, you know, white entertainers in particular calling me saying, hey man, can I get your advice on this? Or just, I just want to check on you and this. And the thing is, is that again, what folks don't realize is that if you're willing to be to put your fear around how something you may do may be perceived if you're doing it for the right reasons in the right way, because that's what you believe may have a positive impact on this issue. For you to talk yourself out of doing it or stand back on the sidelines, that's part of the problem. You, we, we all have to decide that someone who doesn't look like us or isn't like us is still worthy. And therefore, your voice is just as worthy. And, 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 and everybody who's listening to this has a part to play in finding justice. And it's certainly not just about George Floyd, because I was just on the phone with someone this morning who's very worried, who did a ton of work around Michael Brown in Ferguson. And I went to Ferguson the day after Michael Brown was shot and worked with a lot of young people in that community. And this person called me and said, hey, this is feeling eerily similar to Michael Brown. And the difference is it's, it's much bigger and much worldwide. And, and, you know, part of that has to do with, I think, COVID and, 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 the, and the focus of intention um, right now uh, has captured the world. And also, Mike Brown's killing was not caught on video. Um, we just know the autopsy report. He was shot multiple times in the back. But the, so we know that, and he didn't have a weapon. So we knew something was very wrong. But the, the point being is that there was a lot of a lot of talk, a lot of protest, and no sustainable solutions were brought to bear. And we're right back here again. And um, it, it's, it's painful, you know, it's painful because repeated, viewing repeated trauma and seeing it happen over and over again without substantive change 
is is hurtful. It's like PTSD, right? It's 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 there's a there's 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 that piece of it. And I was on a Zoom call yesterday also with brother Albert Albert Woodfork. I, I think I'm saying his name or Woodfox, I believe. He was in Angola in solitary confinement for 42 years. And he was incarcerated in 1969. Okay? And he came out wrote a, a book that's up for a Pulitzer actually. And he, we were on a Zoom call yesterday and he was like, besides technology, nothing has changed. And that should take you back and say, and you said, oh, the only other thing changed is that protests are, are more diverse. Back then it was all black people protesting. Now there's more diversity in the place. He says, those are the only two things that have changed. But the point is, is that the level of racism, the level of abuse, the level of um, malfeasance among institutions like the police department, etc. It's all the same. So therefore, whatever we've been doing hasn't been working. And we have to bring new solutions to bear. And it has to be all hands on deck. And folks can't cop out by say, I'm in listening phase. I believe folks know what the solutions are, but feel uncomfortable and or actually tacitly and subconsciously won't admit that they've benefited and their families have benefited through and from systemic racism and institutionalized racism for so long that it's become such a fabric of us that we can't even see out of it, which becomes very difficult, right? Very, very challenging, right? It's the inheritance of belief systems. It's like, well, I'm not racist. I don't feel racist. I think there's human, so I'm not part of the problem. No, I don't know if that's, I don't know if that's, that's true. Um, the question is, what solutions need to be brought to bear? Obviously, some sweeping legislative reforms, sweeping legislative reforms. But unless there's enough people, and I'm talking about white folks, black folks, brown folks, all folks, to demand these types of legislative reforms that need to be brought to bear, it's not going to happen. It won't even come close. Right. Um, obviously, I am a huge proponent of community based policing. In fact, I would take it one step further. I'm a huge proponent of, of jurisdictional government hiring. And what I, what I mean by that is if you work for any government entity, you should be required to live in that jurisdiction, county or city. What does that mean? It means that if you are a police officer, firefighter, a teacher, uh, 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 you know, you name it, a county employee, you have, have to live. I have a lot to do in Detroit, right? So I do a lot in Detroit. If you work for anything having to do with the city of Detroit, then you have to live in Detroit. And I've, I've, I've suggested this for years and talked about it for years. And people are like, well... Um, you know, most of our police force lives outside of Detroit. Exactly. Well, most of our employees don't live in the city. Exactly. Um, it, as soon as you make that one simple shift, that one, you'd raise your tax base. Two, people would have more of, I believe, connective tissue to each other and making sure that all of the public services mirror the values that they want to have. And uh, you'd see you'd see change. Obviously, all these other things around oversight of police activity, transparency, there's so many different things that we could go down the list. I mean, you know, 
Um, Operation Zero has a great list of eight things that are fantastic. I'll see if I can pull them up during during our discussion. But um, you know, uh, Color of Change uh, is a wonderful organization that has so many solutions that folks can get involved in and wrap their heads around. You know, Operation Zero talks about a couple eight things, um, eight can't wait things. Uh, ban chokeholds and strangleholds, re require de-escalation in every situation, require warning warnings before shootings, any shooting, exhaust all alternatives before shooting, duty to intervene um, from other officers present, um, ban shooting at moving vehicles, uh, establish use of uh, a use of force continuum, One, in other words, there has to be a continuum place. Require all force to be reported and have 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 open and full transparency um, to civilian review boards and or I'm adding things, but the point is is that all of these things are things that you say. Well, this this time this type of stuff makes sense, but none of it's in place. Why? Because police unions are extremely powerful, and correctional officers' unions extremely powerful. And there are incentives that they hold that have to do with just protecting jobs, not necessarily protecting the citizens they're serving. And so that's just talking about police brutality and issues around policing. Extend that same thought process to every other fabric of our society. Um, a, court, a court case came up recently in Detroit, and I'm using Detroit as an example because um, I'm attempting to do a lot of work there because the need in that city is so vast, and I own a home there and I own a business there, so I'm, I'm I have a lot of familiarity with the with the city. But it's it's a very uh, it's a city that that provides a per perfect fishbowl or an example for for what we're talking about because it's by and large uh, a, a number of African Americans are there, most of whom live in poverty or below the poverty line. And there are all these issues that can you could name in other cities like Newark and Baltimore and East L.A. and and D.C. and on and on and on. Um, some young students brought a court case that said um, it was all about claiming that they had a right to be educated, a right to actually be educated. They had to sue to actually be educated. And so people are like, what, what does that mean? You know, right to learn. What does that mean? It means that the, the schools are so substandard that these young people aren't being taught. And we know that there's a direct correlation between education and incarceration. We know it in almost every place you could lay a graph. Young black male, dropout rate, it's almost the exact same graph. In places where it's 60 or 70% young black male dropout rate, it's a 60 to 7% incarceration rate. And then watch what I just did. I just normalize saying that. This is what I'm talking about, of how deep this stuff goes. I just said out of my mouth, Jason, that there are cities and communities in this country that have a 60 to 70% dropout rate of young black men. And we've accepted that to be okay. And we have a 60 to 70% incarceration rate of those same young black men. And we've accepted that, 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 that I shouldn't even be able to say that without you saying, whoa, shut the F up. That's impossible. That can't even be true. The school system should be 
blown up and restarted if that's even, if it's even 30%. But instead, we don't care. And it's common and it's everybody. And even me saying it, there are people out there saying, oh, whatever, you know, I'm telling you, we don't care. People don't care. And they only care when it impacts them. And people say, well, hell, that's not true. Yes, it is true. Or this stuff would have already changed. And now protesting is impacting people in certain ways. It's either impacting their heart because they see this horrendous nine minute video of George Floyd or it's impacting their lives or it's making them rethink things. Ultimately, until people actually start to care, actually start to believe in their own agency, actually start to understand that they've participated and benefited from an institutionally racist structure in society for the last 500 years in this country, and they are direct beneficiaries of it, whether it's subconsciously or consciously, and, 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 and therefore they have a, the ability to look at where those benefits and hindrances lie and create new social structures, new governmental structures, new systemic structures, for equal opportunity, then it's not gonna change. But I think it can change, because I'm a hope guy, right? I believe, I believe that we are in a moment, um, that we are in a place where it can change. Um, but, I, but obviously, I come at it through my own limited prism of my experience as a black man in America who has had opportunity and had people in my life that were able to help me at times when there were problems. Sure, I've had a number of run-ins with the law. I've been pulled over while black many times. I just got pulled over the other day. So it happens all the time, right? So people don't understand, it happens to everybody, no matter who. Driving while black is real. You get pulled over on a regular basis. The thing for me is, is that I am fortunate that because of my experience, because of who I am, and obviously any of these things could have gone horribly wrong, but I approach them from a certain way, and usually my interaction with law enforcement goes that way. But the burden should not be on the person. Um, they, the burden should be on law enforcement um, all the time. But all that's to say, um, I have certain ideas about the things that I think I can do and hopefully recruit friends and other folks that are that feel the same way or sympathetic, but certainly the ideas I have are limited and are only only exist within a within a prison. But I think a holistic upheaval of the systems and institutions is what's is, is what's needed, or we'll just go back and it, and it won't change. Um, I don't know if you saw yesterday. I thought it was so powerful. Um, brother, and I'm, I'm missing his name, who's a professional football player, did this very emotional response to Drew Brees saying that, um, you know, it's, he would never disrespect the flag. And this is, th there, that comment, therein lies what I'm talking about. We have to be able to admit that the narrative is controlled through a white supremacist language. 
kneeling to me, kneeling is actually respecting the flag, right? In my purview, right? I went to Marine Corps officer candidate school. So I actually, you know, I actually, I never took my commission in the Marine Corps because I wanted to go to grad school. So I went to Harvard Law School. But I actually went to Marine Corps officer candidate school. I respect our military. But kneeling is to me not disrespectful to the military. It's actually respectful to the military, respectful to the flag. Why? Because it's what the what we're told the flag stands for. We want it to actually stand for that. And it doesn't right now through the systems and institutions and behaviors. So actually saying we respect that flag and we want to hold it up to its highest ideals. It's the same thing about saying I respect the Constitution. And at Harvard Law School, we learned all about the Constitution. I respect the Constitution and all of its elements. We actually want it to do what it does, what it says. We want the institutions to reflect that. That's the most American thing I can even think of. That's super patriotic. To me, kneeling is ultra patriotic. But if you believe the narrative that somehow that's disrespectful to the military or to the flag, and the fact that perhaps the unwillingness to kneel before a game tacitly reinforces less condemnation of somebody kneeling on someone's neck for nine minutes, that's a problem. And the brother who responded to it was in tears. He was in tears because I guess Drew Brees in the huddle is always talking about brotherhood. Brotherhood, man, it's a brotherhood. We're gonna win, we're brothers, we stick together. But no, man, you know, that breaks your heart. It's a brotherhood when you want to win a game, but when we're talking about a black man's life, it's not a brotherhood anymore. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna be there for you. I'm not gonna try to see it through your eyes. Talking about my grandfather was a vet. There's been a lot of black vets, a lot of black men and women who have died in combat. As if that means, in other words, it, 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 it blew my mind. But I don't want to get bogged down in talking about that because again, that's a that's a distraction away from the real issue of what we're talking about. How do we make our this, this country and this world better? The world looks to this country as a, as a democratic ideal and we are consistently failing. And if we can't provide hope and the right way to do it and the right way to proceed, then democracy's in trouble, in real trouble. Um, it is. <laughs> it is in trouble. Yeah, it is. So I implore anybody that's listening, you know, I posted on my Instagram just today at Hill Harper. You can go to the bio and link. There are hundreds of organizations there because a lot of people tell me, well, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. It's, it doesn't matter what you choose to do, or where you choose to, to help or serve. Just do something. And most and remember, most change is local. So wherever you are, work that. You know, another thing folks can do is join the NAACP. You don't have to be black to join the NAACP. Just join. You know, get your get your listen, one of the most proud moments of me growing up as a little black boy was when my dad hung the plaque 
that said, I was a lifetime member of the NAACP. My grandfather was, um, was, was head of the state of Iowa NAACP chapter during Jim Crow segregation and civil rights, the civil rights era, you know? And so I had this plaque on my wall growing up that I still have to this day that said, I'm a lifetime member of the NAACP. And I always thought you got that because of something special. And you know what I realized, you get it because you actually sign up and write a check, right? And so <laughs> everybody listening right now could, could have a plaque and a letter that says they're a lifetime member of the NAACP. And so do that if that's a first step. And then you'll start getting Crisis Magazine, which is the NAACP magazine. And maybe you start reading that and you start learning something and or you know, listen, there's so many areas of injustice that I don't know about, that I want to learn about, that I was unknowingly even thrown into recently, uh, accident, you know, I made a mistake with a post and I started getting barrage about something that I didn't mean to. And I've been learning about these issues and now I'm starting to get engaged in something that I had no idea about. This is, this is a moment to get engaged, to learn. But also do your own research because you know what you care about. Type in those keywords. If you care about legislation, if you care about police brutality, type those things in. If you care about black teens, if you care about the, the, the LGBTQ community, type. There, there are so many different ways to figure out how to serve. Do it. I, I, I know I said I wouldn't talk, but. Oh, but but what but what you said reminded me of a post I re recently saw go viral on social media, something along the lines of you know some are posting on social, some are protesting, some are donating, some are educating, and some are having tough conversations. A revolution has many lanes. Be kind to yourself and to others who are traveling in the same direction. Just keep your foot on the gas. Beautiful. I love that. It's like, well, it's what you said. There, there, there's a moment. And I think everyone's trying to figure out what's their lane. And, and I, I got the answer, Jason. I got that answer. The answer is simple. What makes your heart beat faster? You got to answer. Just ask yourself that question. You know, if it's when you hear about when you see someone having a knee on somebody's neck for nine minutes, if that upsets you, then maybe you want to do something about police brutality and you want to start calling up your local precinct to find out what their de-escalation measures are. What do they, what things do they have in place? You want to find out who your police chief is. How did, did they get appointed by the mayor? Were they, you know, were they appointed by the county official? Were they in elected office? Who, who and how are they? What's their relationship with the DA? Is there community oversight? If that's what you care about, but then you may care about something else. Well, you mentioned elected office and you shared a post. I, I texted you after I saw it. It was pretty simple. It just said vote. Right. It just said vote. And what's interesting about that is that I posted that and I got some criticism for that. Um, yeah. Folks hit me saying, well, listen. We had a black president for eight years. Clearly, that didn't do anything. We voted before. That hasn't done anything. They don't, they don't, they're not responsive. It goes back to my point before is that everybody wants a one-stop shop, simple answer. There isn't a simple answer 
to something so endemic in the fabric of our country as deep-seated racism, systemic and institutionalized racism. Voting is one ingredient in the social justice pie that we have to bake. And voting is a key piece. 80% of DAs run unopposed. Wow. Most, most, most DAs and police work and police unions and police work so closely because they have to build cases against people that that's what they do. They have relationships and you build relationships and you take care of the people that you work with and for and around. So to have a progressive DA elected that says, hey, I'm going to start charging cops with felony murder and accomplice murder, first degree, every time someone dies, if, if there wasn't justifiable uh, use of force, that will change behavior real quick. It also, though, impacts the, the retribution side of the cops saying, hey, this DA is not for me. I'm not going to give them, you know, the, the, the evidence that they need to get convictions over here, there, there. Point being is that everyone's life has to matter. And if a cop is that type of cop that's either going to commit violence and or withhold and be obstructionist to the DA, then they shouldn't be a cop. They should be fired. So, um, and, but then you get into police unions and how powerful they are and how they protect jobs. So it's very complicated, but there are solutions. Um, you know, so listen, go ahead. No, you, you finish, please. I think that there, all of these things are multifaceted and we can stem the tide of mass incarceration. We can stem the tide of police brutality. A lot of it comes down to transparency, data, who's in office, and what type of community oversight there is, and being able to get rid of bad, bad, bad actors in all areas. So it's Thursday, June 4th. We're going to release this tomorrow, Friday, June 5th. And our, our hope is that people are going to listen to this on, on Friday and into the weekend. And and make some changes and take some inventory. And I know you mentioned you're a hope guy. I know you're a hope guy. What is that? What is that hope you want to leave with everyone listening? I want everyone listening to know that they have agency, that they have power and that they matter. And somehow, I don't know, who knows where it happened and how it happened, but folks have been convinced that they don't have power and they don't matter and there's nothing that they can do and it's not true. It's we the people. Everything that's in place right now from corporations to government to police institutions, we put in place and we've allowed to exist. We can stop it all. And that's what's so powerful about the protests is that it shows that people coming together can stop and stop things, all right? That's the beautiful thing about protest because it reminds people of the power of the people. Problem is, is that there are huge systemic and power forces at bay that are antithetical to that, but we the people still have to decide that we are stronger, which we are together. But that means all hands on deck. And it also means people being able and willing to 
say, ah, yeah, you know, I have, I have benefited from these systems. And so in that benefit, um, I'm going to have to figure out certain ways that I may not benefit anymore or as much because I have to figure out a way to help other people benefit as well. Because everybody wants to act like there's some type of equal playing field. And it's, there's, there's not. The, 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 the analogy I like to, to, to bring up all the time is, is when I'm talking to other men. And as I say, hey, you know, as a man, when you leave this place you're at at night, you don't really, it's a privilege, you know, to not have to give thought about where you're about to walk. You don't really have to think twice about it. Um, women have to think about that all the time. That's an added burden. They have to think about their safety, where they're at, who's around, um, because they have been victims of real violent crime at the hands of men, by and large. So they have to be aware and they have to think about it. As a black man, we have to think in that similar way when we are anywhere near police, when we are in situations where other folks are not, hey, you know, not even thinking. I saw, you know, a cop today, the thought process, I'm telling you, it's just part of your thought process as a black man and police. That's real. It shouldn't be that way. It shouldn't, but it is. So it's a privilege to not have to think about all these other things. Um, admitting and understanding privilege is a part of it. And then understanding that part of that privilege has given you power and agency. And if you're not willing to actually make a mistake or be embarrassed or step out and say something that you people criticize you for, then you're not willing to actually put some of your privilege on the line to actually see a difference or change happen. Um, if you wait and wait and wait and listen and learn and try to figure out where you fit and try to figure out what to do, then you're actually playing into the hands of keeping things some measure of status quo, which maybe deep down you really want, right? I don't know. Maybe you do. But if you really are copping to saying, I really would like to see this become a more just and equitable society, I'd like to see, um, you know, Let's be clear. Police brutality affects white people, too. More white people are actually killed by police every year than black people. But the difference is, is just the percentages are massively different, right? Because the, the numbers are actually relatively close. But white people still just the sheer number. There are more white folks killed by police than black people. But we're only 12 percent of the population. But we're a massive number of the killings. So that just should give someone some insight into it. Same about incarceration rates. There's no data that shows that black people actually commit more crime than white people, but a huge percentage higher of black folks are locked up. What's that about? So understanding the data is important and doing research, yeah, sure, that's important, but just doing something to make a difference is even more important. And 
calling your black friends just to check on see how they're doing is not doing something. Let's be clear. That's great. And you should do that. And I'm not shaming anybody who does or did. But it's, it's a little bit, the bar is a little higher for doing something. And everyone knows what that is, what that is for them. You know, you may know the police chief or the commissioner or the police commissioner friend. You may and have uncomfortable conversations about this stuff and, and saying it's got to change. It's got to stop. Um, or I'm going to take action to make sure you're not you're not in that role anymore. That's a powerful thing to do and say. And it's uncomfortable, but it has to happen because, Jason, if we're back here having this same conversation a year from now, five years from now, 10 years from now, then both of us should have to look in the mirror and say we're full of shit. Mm -hmm. Because that means we didn't do enough. That means that, that we sat back and thought that a podcast was enough or a post was enough or uh, a vote was enough. Or writing a check was enough. Or joining the NAACP was enough. None of those things individually or even collectively are enough. We we know it's enough every day that we don't see change happen. So therefore, that just means we have to do something different and new to make it happen. Find your lane, take action, and don't take your foot off the gas. Yes. And what makes your heart beat? What do you care about? You don't have to care about the same things I care about, but care about something outside of yourself. And if you do care about that thing, just do that work. And that's, that is enough, literally, but do real work in the space. Um, and, and, and be open to learning. You know, I'm learning some things in vis-a-vis the LGBTQ community that I didn't know before recently. And and I'm learning about injustice in that community that I did wasn't aware of to the extent. And in certain cases, black men being the prime, black so-called heterosexual men being the prime perpetrators of the abuse. I got to do work in that space. I'm going to get involved. I'm going to do work. Because now I'm aware. No one can sit back right now and tell me they're not aware of police brutality against black people. <laughs> you can't do it. You can't say you weren't aware. Um, and if you just came out of a long-term meditation and you're just listening to this for the first time now, consider yourself aware now and do something. And, and, and I consider myself aware in this new space where I want to do work. So, so we're all in this together. That's the, that's the biggest thing. Dr. King said, we're all tied together in a single garment of mutual destiny, which means mutual destiny. All of our destinies are inextricably linked. And we can get to that place of a more enlightened thinking that allows us to think about people globally and universally. I've been doing a lot of listening to one of my favorite poets recently named David White, who's like Welsh, English Welsh poet who lives um, actually on an island, I think Whidbey Island, outside of uh, in the Pacific Northwest. And, um, you know, he, he talks about uh, the belief systems held by the strategic competitive mind. And we think about, if you just break down what the strategic competitive mind is, it's all about self-preservation. 
And fundamentally, all of us have been conditioned in that in that lane. Um, and what's crazy is that social media has heightened it so much that it's exposing it. And this is why I believe we're in this window of, of being able to shift into a different type of mindset or a higher mindset of like the constellation of belonging, that idea that it's not about the survival of me and mine, it's about the survival of this really global tribe, the constellation of belonging to all, all of us, we all belong. And if we can really cop to that idea, it also, it, it, it reinforces the fact that you believe that you do have voice no matter what the situation is, because you do, you belong. I hate it when white people say, well, it's not my, no, we're all in this together. Racism exists because of, a, of, a, of, of folks, you know, we can, we can really take it back, you know. We want to talk about the Roman Catholic Church giving permission to Portugal to go down to Africa and saying, this is your area in Africa. You can exploit and enslave those people. And then go, Portugal goes to Brazil. And then they tell Spain, it's okay, go plunder and kill. And, and Oh, Portugal's got a good thing going on with this, this slave thing. They're able to build institutions. Okay, let's bring some, some of those same people over to America and build that. You know, it, it, it's, it's 500 years ago, but it's still impacting us every day today. Got to do better. We are all enlightened beings and we're, we all exist in a constellation of belonging and open up your heart and your enlightenment and remember courage. The root or the etymology of that word is core, which means heart. So you find your courage in your heart and your enlightenment and your belongingness and understand that all of the things that we talk about are all related. In, environment is related to racism, which is related to economic, you know, determinant, economic determinants and opportunity, which is related to education, which is related to incarceration. None of these things are mutually exclusive. They're all related. And so whatever you care about, you're doing, you're impacting in a positive way other things if it's all about uplifting people. You know, the most poisoned people in the world, and this is the crazy thing about environmentalists that I always say, why don't you guys ever talk about it? The most poisoned and damaged people in the world are poor people that are black and brown from environmental toxins. But everybody wants to talk about the, the, the ice caps melting, right? It's about Flint, Michigan. It's about um, Newburgh, New York, and, and the company 3M poisoning that city of black people. It's, you know, it's, it's, you know, and it's not to say that the polar caps melting is not a bad thing, but the real direct harm of real environmental harm is happens to poor brown people in India, in Sri Lanka, and in, in, in cities in America. So, so it's just a perspective shift to say, hey, the environment's my thing, but, oh, I realize that it's attached to racism too. I can do work in both spaces simultaneously. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. Oh, this is a hard, this is a hard conversation, man, because it it hurts my heart 
it hurts my heart because by and large, the people that are listening to this podcast, just by, by virtue of the Mind Body Green audience, are people that really want to see the world be better. Um, in other words, it's like when the preacher always says, yo, I'm, I'm preaching to the choir. I know I'm preaching to the choir. They say, yeah, preacher, you're preaching to the choir. Yeah, preacher, come on. And so people are preaching to the choir, but the point is we, those of us who are in the choir, we got to get off our asses and, and, and start stop thinking that just because we have good intentions, it's led to proper results. Good intentions don't lead to proper results. Action, intended, strategic, continuous, foot on the gas, as you said, action on a daily basis is more important than good intentions. Amen to that. We'll close there. All right. I love you, man. Now now I'm all riled up. I don't know what I'm going to do the rest of my day. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sweating. I'm hurting. (laughs) Well, do you know the, the, the... This was the weekend Revitalize was supposed to happen. So you got your Revitalize (laughs) (laughs) open out. (laughs) But thank you. Thank you. It means the world. Thank you. I appreciate you doing what you do. And, you know, everybody out there, we're all in this together. Come on. Mutual destiny. Let's go. Let's go. And anything I can do. And this is important. Technology has offered us the opportunity to be and stay connected. If there's something out there, you can't expect everyone to be aware of everything. There's something out there that you say, Hill, this should be on your radar. Hill, we need you to lend voice to this. Hill, can you do something? DM me. I get a lot of DMs, okay? And and I don't see them all. But eventually, if you keep hitting me over and over and over again, I'll eventually see it. Don't let ego get involved. Hit me repeatedly about it point is, is that we all are reachable. Anybody you can think of, for the most part in the world, is reachable. So, but it'll take repeated reach outs, but don't stop reaching to people if you think that you need an ally or if you need someone's support or if you need their help. I'm out here willing to help and be an ally um, in whatever way I can. Um, and, and, and I know, Jason, you are, and I know that Mind Body Green is, and I know, but but you you may not know what or who to help and how to do it. So 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 reach out and reach out again and again and again if if someone doesn't get back to you. Well, we will, I will, and again, thank you for all that you do. Uh, thank you. Thank you, brother.